This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. One of the hard lessons we've learned from the ongoing turmoil in Florida's property insurance market is that unscrupulous practices by contractors and lawyers has become a cottage industry. Often it turns into outright fraud, including insurance fraud. The pages of my Lisa Miller & Associates newsletter, which you can subscribe to for free, has chronicled the arrest, the lawsuits, and in one case, the disbarment of a prominent plaintiff attorney and the dissolution of his law firm. All of this has contributed to the higher homeowners insurance premiums that we're all paying today. Now, these unscrupulous practices are being exposed in our homeowners and condominium associations. These self-governing communities are home to nearly half of Florida's 22 million residents. This is a big deal, and the South Florida Sun Sentinel has done a tremendous job of exposing the fraud that can occur when association board members have their favorite contractors do the repair work on the common property, and either the work is inferior or it's not done at all, yet the contractors get paid, all at the expense of the community's residents through rapidly growing monthly HOA fees. That's what prosecutors say happened at a West Miami development called the Hammocks, a 6,500-unit community of houses, townhouses, and condominiums. Four former association board members were arrested for allegedly engaging in an intricate scheme to embezzle millions of dollars in monthly dues from residents. The Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office arrest affidavit, it's a great read, and we'll make sure that you get your hands on it, states that board members were writing checks to five companies for little or no work to the tune of $2.4 million in documented losses. Two of the companies were owned by the husband of the former board president. Charges ranging from racketeering, organized fraud, money laundering, and grand theft to fabricating physical evidence. Some of this blatant incidence of alleged fraud begs the question, do these fraudulent practices contribute to condo and HOA insurance rate increases? And if so, what tools, including the latest technology, have been developed for insurance companies to counter this fraud and protect policyholders? Joining us today on the Florida Insurance Roundup podcast are two very special guests. Tiffany Rothenberg is a seasoned legal expert and lawyer in the HOA and Condo Association Insurance Claims Arena, and she's a partner at Kelly Cronenberg, a very distinguished firm here in Florida, and heads its commercial first-party property litigation practice. She represents commercial property insurance companies in complex coverage disputes and bad faith claims throughout Florida. She joins us from their West Palm Beach office. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. Glad you're here. And our second guest has a knack for insurance underwriting. Andy McGuire is the chief strategy officer and co-founder of Peak Six InsureTech, which includes subsidiaries, Focus Technologies, and Focus Insurance Services. The company is focused on using technology to serve its customers better, strives to propel the insurance industry to run more efficiently, and brings together diversified businesses that span the entirety of the insurance lifecycle. Andy is an established leader in the insurance industry with more than 25 years with a broad range of industry experience, including risk management and reinsurance. 
He also has a proven track record of building insurance operations from the ground up and has an efficient approach to understanding and integrating technology into business functions. He joins us from his Sarasota office. Welcome, Andy. Lisa, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. All right. So let's get started. And I want to start with you, Andy. I know that during your entire professional career, you've been preaching that if insurance companies and agents devote the time and talent on the front end of underwriting to properly evaluate a risk, the back end and the claims process, if you will, tend to take care of itself. But incidences like the hammocks, which I read extensively about, can be hard to detect. And many insurance companies are blindsided by fraud. What's out there in our new environment, our new normal of technology that can help insurance companies and ultimately lead to better practices in our market, which ultimately helps consumers? Yeah, really great question. So I would agree with you that historically, you've been really hard to catch up front. And I think everyone that, that listens should know that all of this fraud is inflationary to your prices, right? Because insurance companies can only price assuming that everything is correctly classified. So when things are not correctly classified, that's just inflationary to everyone's prices. So now there have been some great advances in technology. You know, everyone's talking about the advent of the AI and machine learning uh, process now. And company and companies are specializing in those technologies and you can get significantly better insights into risk. There are models that exist that can give an insurance company an indication of a propensity to commit fraud by an individual. Right? So you can run these boards through the models like that and get an, an indication. At the end of the day, an underwriter is going to have to make a decision. But now we've got more data than we've ever had to be able to understand risk. Is there a way in understanding that risk that you can analyze human behavior when it comes to evaluating risk, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. With with enough observations, you can run a model, for example, on the language used in the minutes to potentially pick up on schemes. Now that we have the, this example for this particular issue, uh, we can build an AI and teach it with these talk paths or words and knowing that it resulted in fraud, you have your first learning. You can get enough positive observations that you now have a model that an underwriter can load the minutes into and get a prediction. Combine that with financial data, and a propensity to commit fraud of, of each individual member of the board, and you have a fully automated decision tree. I don't think we're totally there yet, but we're really close. This is this is the future. I think in taking traditional underwriting, where all we ever look at is the structure and the wind load and you know any vulnerabilities or deferred maintenance, people putting off their maintenance. I think by looking at the human element of this underwriting is going to have a huge impact on making sure that that risks are priced properly. So that begs the question with you, Tiffany, give us some examples of cases where you have defended insurance companies who have been accused wrongly of denying a claim only to find out the claim was inflated or that board members were, you know, complicit in the in the claim practice. You know, what is it that you see? Um, on the back end, if you will, since Andy's talking about the front end, uh, that it seems to be trends in the marketplace. Lisa, I, I can't tell you how frequently we end up seeing this kind of a scenario. I'll I'll mention two examples. Um, I just had a case here in Palm Beach County where the association submitted a four and a half million dollar Hurricane Irma claim for roof damage. 
And when I say four and a half million, I mean, that's a, that's exactly how much they claim to the insurance company that the insurance company owed to them uh, for roof damages. But once we really started to dig into their association records, and these are records that they are required to keep by law under uh, chapter 718.111, when we started to review their condo records, we discovered that the association actually had five roof replacement proposals that were all under $1 million. And then during depositions, it came out they actually signed a contract with one of those roofing contractors for around $900,000. So you add to that that their policy had a $500,000 hurricane deductible and basically the association was trying to reap a $4 million windfall from the uh, insurance company. Of course, that's gonna drive up costs. Uh, Thankfully, we caught that. But we also see many cases where the association simply has no money in their reserves because they've been waiving their uh, reserve funding requirement for years. And then after a hurricane comes along, the association will make a claim for new roofs, new siding, windows and doors, et cetera. And what we see when we review their condo records is that uh, frequently in, in this type of scenario, the problems began long before the hurricane. The association knew the expense was necessary, but no one wanted to pass a special assessment and shell out the money that frankly was necessary to pay for very necessary and foreseeable repairs. I have one current case like that where the condo association has had no reserves for years. And in 2019 or 2020, the condo association board basically got taken over by a group of mostly non-resident investors. So this new group decided to submit a hurricane claim and they got a construction company to write an estimate for over $10 million. And then through the investigation, again, we, we reviewed the association records and we saw it, that it was well-documented in their meeting minutes that they were in real need of the repairs, exactly the repairs that they were claiming in the assurance claim back in 2016 and 2017. And I think, you know, one of the things that was glaring about, uh, about this example with a non-resident, uh, a board of non-residents is that when my client, the insurance company, you know, tries to resolve these types of claims and put, you know, real money on the table. Unfortunately, we're negotiating with a group of investors who don't live at the property, have never lived at the property, and really don't understand or appreciate the declining conditions that many residents have been living in for years. So, you know, they end up walking away from real money on the table and keep litigating the case for years. Andy, you hear Tiffany talking about the findings that happen when she does the investigation. This takes hours and hours of her time. She's got to do discovery. She's got to grab all these records. Is there any technology that you know of, or do you see where that, you know, uh, laborious amount of uh, time and resources to get to the bottom of these cases? Can the AI world help lawyers like Tiffany short circuit that to get to the heart of the matter? I don't think it exists exactly today. So the, the, the key in the AI world is basically the number of observations you have and the conclusion. So once you, once you have those things, you can train a model to actually recognize them, right? So in time, 
especially in, in law firms, right? Because Tiffany's seen, and I'm sure she's got numerous, numerous examples of, of similar or like kind of cases, right? So you can easily train a model at some point to kind of look at the details of a case and basically either point you where, where the propensity is to look, what the propensity is of the result, um, what, we're, what we may or may not find, we're in a whole new world in machine learning just because processing power is has gotten so prolific and so cheap, right? So as long as we can continue to organize data, and that's really where I've been pushing, especially at Focus Tech, is having a data structure that keeps data organized so that as your insights become greater and greater, it gets much easier to build more and more refined and well-trained models. AI and the accuracy of AI is based purely on the number of observations that you pump into it. Now there's some technology out there that, that it, can, it can teach itself at some point once you have, once you have enough like-kinded things, but we're a little bit advanced beyond my full knowledge of AI when we start talking about that kind of stuff, but it's definitely there. And that's a great partnership in my opinion, like there, there needs to be some way for carriers to pool together with, you know, a firm like Tiffany's to build a model that can protect consumers of both insurance and HOAs, right? This is, this is highly inflationary. You're seeing it, you know, really impact people that are on fixed incomes, especially in some of these condo associations. Right? And the more that we can do to make data transparent and be more predictive, it really helps us cap the inflationary nature of these things. So, Tiffany, back to you. I, I, I can't imagine the day in the life of a lawyer like you that is, you know, putting, I, I think of, you know, the, the most incredible uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, role that you and your team play. Right now, I'm assuming everything you do is through hiring investigators, asking for document submission, combing through pages and pages and pages of things. And it sounds to me like what Andy's saying is that the processes that you use to get to the bottom of what you suspect and ultimately prove are fraudulent claims, inflated claims, nefarious claims. Do you see the technology that Andy is talking about, A, reducing legal cost, your time and expense, plus your clients, and B, providing better outcomes to some of these cases quicker? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. If we had some of the technology that Andy is talking about, uh, you know, in the claims investigation process, and also, you know, I think worked into the underwriting part of the, you know, insurance model, we would have a lot more tools at our disposal and be able to resolve some of these issues much quicker. Just to give you an example, if there's misrepresentation on the insurance application, then I don't need to prove that the association intentionally misrepresented that fact, uh, meaning I don't need to prove actual fraud because fraud requires intent. I only need to prove that it was a misrepresentation. So if the underwriting process and the insurance application has the right questions 
And then during the investigation process, we find that those aren't true. Then it makes my job of avoiding coverage under the policy uh, much easier. So what we're talking about here sounds like it's the worst of times. We know that there are condo board and HO boards that do what they're supposed to do. And they run their organizations as best they can with the resources they have. What are some of the best practices, Tiffany, from your standpoint, that these board members can observe to either listen to the homeowners, try to keep up with the maintenance? If you, I know a lot of times you probably sit back and think, gee, I wish they would have. Do you have any advice <laughs> about what some of these, these board members should or should not be doing? I mean, they've got laws staring them in the face, all the new Senate Bill 4D requirements for reserving and inspections. But what are some of the good things that they should be doing if a board member sees another board member misbehaving? What would you say, what would you tell them? That's a tough question. <laughs> it's a tough question, Lisa, because it happens so frequently in Florida that, you know, that there's a misbehavior or, or um, politics involved in these boards. And it's unfortunate to see because these folks, you know, I mean, this is where they live also, right? This is a big investment for them, uh, you know, most most frequently as we're talking about uh, resident owners. Um, and so it's it's sad to see, but I think really board members should treat, you know, treat the association as though it's really their home, right? I mean, when you have a home, you, you have a, a, a home, you know that there are expenditures that you are going to have to anticipate. And I do think that the recent legislation, uh, Senate Bill 4D, will really assist in that respect because previously association boards were um, allowed to waive their funding reserve requirements. But now with 4D, they're no longer allowed to waive their reserves. And also they're required to have these uh, uh, periodic reserve studies completed where they hire an outside impartial company to come in and tell them, okay, this is how you need to sort of plan for your future capital expenditures. You need this much for your roof replacement. You need this much for your paving. You need this much for your uh, painting. And this is how frequently you're going to need to do those kind of things. And they should take those uh, reserve studies and really plan their, their funds and expenses because then when there really is a catastrophe or casualty where the insurance company is responsible for coverage, it'll make the claims investigation and resolution and adjustment process so much smoother for the association. Great, great thoughts, Tiffany. I appreciate that. And I, I'm going to ask the both of you um, about errors and emissions insurance. You know, when whenever these errors and emissions policies, which is like almost like a professional liability policy for board members, um, when those policies are issued, and Andy, I'm going to bucket over to you first, the underwriting side of that, understanding the risk profile of that board member prior to issuing that errors and emissions coverage. Do you see the technology you're talking about hopefully making that more accurate, maybe making the pricing better because it's more certainty of risk. I think the errors and emissions uh, market is is very strained right now. So you hearing anything about that, Andy? I haven't heard specifically on, on the HOA side, but I, I, I can tell you that 
the technology exists today to really underwrite the individual, right? Because we started off talking about the property and then the aspects of the property and then the the board members themselves. When it comes to the ENO side, you really are need to be underwriting the individual people. And that totally exists today. There is so much data out there around uh, and it's all and it's all publicly available, right? They, these variables, uh, as simple as publications that you subscribe to, they're not even. Some of these folks aren't even using your browsing history or anything like that. There are others that are way more advanced that are using that kind of stuff um, that can really give you insight into the personality type of the people. Think of it a, a lot like um, medical malpractice, right? In medical malpractice. Uh, one of the carriers, when the loss ratios for medical malpractice were going off the chain, uh, started doing um, profile tests of doctors. And what they found is the frequency of error and the severity of error actually wasn't predictive of the uh, actual outcome of a uh, of a case. It was all around uh, the doctor's bedside manner. If two doctors made the same mistake, but one had a good bedside manner, there was a significantly lower damages and suits settled much quicker. Same thing in these ENO things, right? It's all about the person, right? If we know that the profile of this person is, you know, for lack of a specific term, let's say shady, you know, I would advise carriers to probably not even quote on pieces of, of, of business like that. Or rate it significantly higher if you can't put your thumb on exactly what it is, because there is an incremental risk there. And those tools absolutely exist today. That is aw- it's awesome. It, you know, on the next podcast, I'm working on a class called Bedside Manner for Adjusters. And uh, it's my theory, and I will save this for a future podcast, that two out of every five lawsuits could be avoided if our adjusters had a better bedside manner. Many do, many are still learning it. So that is very helpful. And the last question for you, Tiffany, is when you see these misbehaving board members that are ultimately responsible for you know submitting these fraudulent claims, oftentimes the president's name is on the sub- claim submission. Are those errors and omissions claims? Are, are they uh, directors and officers? Are those claims being made? Is that a piece of what you work on if there are recoveries to be made? So typically um, in Florida, most of the Florida licensed carriers, uh, their commercial residential policies do not include liability. So okay. typically, you're only going to see um, a claim that that would potentially overlap and involve, uh, you know, director and officer errors and omission coverage if we have a surplus lines carrier. In those cases, typically, <laughs> typically the carriers end up having different attorneys um, handle the ENO uh, or the DNO claim. Uh, versus the the property uh, and casualty aspect of the claim, but we certainly see um, in many of the of our property insurance cases parallel lawsuits going on against the association board for various types of conduct. Sometimes overlapping, sometimes not. For example, that one of those uh, 
actually, I think both of those cases that I mentioned before had parallel uh, unit owner versus association lawsuits that implicate errors and omissions. Wow. Oh, so informative. I could talk with both of you hours and hours, but we we will bring this in for a landing. And I and I want to thank you, Andy, Chief Strategy Officer, now we know why, and co-founder of Peak Six uh, for being with us. Um, he, he's got a wonderful group of companies, Focus Technologies, Focus Insurance Services out of Sunrise. Thank you, Andy, for taking the time and, and giving us the wow factors of this new technology. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's always a pleasure. And Tiffany, awesome insight, real case data, the day in the life of a a lawyer that deals with commercial first-party property litigation, um, walking a day in your shoes might be more challenging than I can imagine. Thank you for being here, Tiffany. Thanks so much for having me. The Coalition Against Insurance Fraud, you're going to love this number, estimates that there's three hundred over $300 billion. They just released that last year in fraudulent claims. And so who pays for that? We all do. And the Condominium Association is only as good as the board members that run it. And Insurance companies, I hope, after listening to this, and I know they know, they've got to try to understand not only that the risk of the property vulnerability, but the condo and the board management and the board members, you know, are as important, you know, the HOA board members as the physical property itself. And I think, you know, understanding both is going to make um, underwriting more successful, claims handling more successful. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. What's your experience been? We, we always love hearing from our audience. We want to know what you want to know or even further about today's technology. We'll come back to some of this faster, better, smarter uh, ways to reduce um, risk exposure. And you'll find in our podcast show notes, the South Florida Sun Sentinel story. There's a series of four of them. Uh, one came out uh, just recently, um, November 1st. And there was one prior to that about a week or so ago. And uh, awesome stories and great reporting. And I'm very grateful to our friends at Sun Sentinel uh, for exposing some of the things that are going on. You can call us. You can leave us a message at 850-388-8002. That's 850-388-8002. Tell us what you think. You can drop me a note at Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. I would love it if you would follow our Lisa Miller and Associates social media accounts on LinkedIn and we're on Facebook and on X, which of course is formerly Twitter. And and you can like it and follow us and just, you know, help us do what we do because I often say we at our firm can't do what we do unless you do what you do. So that's it for the Florida Insurance Roundup of today. And We appreciate you listening and being a part of this. And at our firm, Lisa Miller & Associates, we have a true passion for policy and our clients' success. I'm Lisa Miller, and until next time, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This has been Lisa Miller & Associates' Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.